Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So, this is not an intimate workshop. <laughs> Meaning, if, if we were going to hear from every single person, which often I like to do, uh, we wouldn't even finish before the day's out. <laughs> so what I am looking for instead is see variety of themes. So I'll hear from some people, engage with them, see how many people resonate with that theme, and then ask for a different theme so that we have a variety of things, even if no one, not everyone, obviously, who wants to speak will get to speak. So, who would like to say what you came to in terms of what is the meaning of inner freedom or any other part of the response that you want to speak to? And we're going to ask you to wait until the mic comes because we're recording um, our session today. And just to say a word about that now, since I forgot to do it before, some people can't be here with us and would like to be able to listen. If you'd prefer to not be recorded, just let us know and we'll turn the recording off. Or if it turns out later, after some dialogue, that you decide, oh, I, I, wouldn't, I don't want that publicized, just let us know and we'll go back and edit it and take it out. Okay, so if you're ready to say something, please raise your hand. And what's your name? Juliet. Juliet says she's really fast. <laughs> we'll see. Just keep your, uh, keep your hand raised so I can see you. You're going to pick them out. <laughs> uh, there's no picking. No one is saying anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, my group, or certainly at least I come with an absolute beginner's mind, having absolutely no idea what nonviolent communication is. And in fact, part of our conversation is, well, what's violent communication? We think we know. <laughs> um, and so uh, I can't speak to necessarily inner freedom, but I can certainly speak to hoping to learn the basics today. And um, thank you. The basics of what? Um, violent and nonviolent communication? Inner uh, freedom? So I, I can assure you that this is not what you're going to get today. <laughs> Meaning that the focus of today is not at all about communication. The focus of today is entirely on inner work. Now, the magic is you do your inner work, it trickles out into your communication. But my overall belief in trickle-down uh, anything is pretty shaky. So it's a whole new separate thing to learn how to translate that inner reality into ways of speaking with people. But that's not the focus for today. All good. Okay. Anybody else here was hoping to learn about communication? Okay. I want to say that if... Um, I would absolutely not be offended if you choose to leave and not stay here because ordinarily I like to you know, work with everything that's in the room, 
but this is such a different focus that I don't know how to bring the two together. So um, it, be my guest if you want to leave. And we'll be offering other resources if from the inner work that we do today, you're interested and motivated to learn some of those tools to translate it into the communication. There are many opportunities to do that, and we'll talk about that at the end of the day. And there's information out if you decide to leave before then. Okay, anybody else? Something about inner freedom, please. Well, to me, inner freedom is knowing and accepting myself with compassion. So, uh, you, a piece that you see that, is, uh, that contributes to your inner freedom is being able to accept yourself with compassion. How does that contribute to freedom? What's the freedom that it gives you? Well, I see the lack of freedom as being the filters and the sort of the prison I'm in um, when I'm not clear. Okay. So that it drops away those prison bars and I'm open. Yeah, so there, there is a quality of, of being, being able to, to sit in a ground of compassion and acceptance that by itself frees you up from so much junk. How many people relate to this theme? Great. Another theme. Any other themes that are in the room? Here. For me, freedom um, is choice and my um, showing up for myself and being true to um, what I want the most mm -hmm. and that I actively avoid <laughs> in equal measures, it seems. Mm -hmm. So I want, yeah. Yeah, so uh, hold on to this because we, we might engage for a moment. So what, what I'm hearing in you is that you, you really want to respond, to choose how you respond based on what's really true for you, and you recognize obstacles. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm curious how many other people resonate with this idea of inner freedom as choice of how you respond. Yeah. And how many people are aware that you have obstacles along the way? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, any other themes? Here? To me, inner freedom is the ability to be unattached. And I mean that in a unattached to physical discomfort, unattached to interactions with other people, unattached to memories of my past and visions of my future, and in essence, that unattachment, when I experience it, allows me to be more fully present. Mm -hmm. so, so when you say attachment, I, I'd like to understand um, uh, how that is different for you from what the gentleman over there said about the prison of, of the different thoughts. Because I think it is different for you, and I'd like to understand that better. I think that as human beings, we want to create an identity for ourselves, and mm -hmm. that identity becomes the attachments that we create. So, so the freedom you're talking about, let me see if I understand, is the freedom to reshape and recreate yourself freshly. At any given moment. At any given moment, yeah. 
How many people relate to that as something that you would like to be able to do? Yeah. I can tell you, um, I used to work with couples, and I noticed that um, the first few sessions tended to be more powerful than the sessions that came afterwards. And I think there are many reasons for that, but there's one reason that is related to what you just said, which is that after a few sessions, I formed ideas about who the people were. And within, however subtle that is and however open I remain to whatever could happen, there was like a narrower range within which I moved. And I think that is part of what um, made it less effective. So I, I very much resonate with this radical newness of every moment as a possibility to recreate. Thank you. Yes, you and you wanted, oh, you, yours was already captured? You? Okay. Okay, um, let's see. One of the ways I want to exercise my inner freedom is to exercise my freedom and, mm -hmm. to, in, and to simply engage in the process of in, with people and with activities and to expose myself to and venture out into things that I normally haven't been doing mm -hmm. up until this stage of my life. And so this process then gives me some clarity into my inner state you know, to create an inner state which will permit me to engage and be present to what confronts mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So, so you're talking, I think, about a practice. Yes. A practice that increases inner freedom, uh, or freedom of any kind, is to do things that are not our habit. I'm, yeah, I'm talking about exercising the freedom. In other words, yeah. you can have freedom, and I, you, I have an inner freedom and an inner stillness, but to me, what's the point of having freedom if you're not engaging and bumping, ag bumping against other people and, and seeing what happens? Yeah, and, and for me, it's also a practice. Yes. Um, the engaging with it increases the freedom. I, I agree, yes. If we always do what is familiar and comfortable, we are not likely to learn very much. Well, that's, that's the practice that I'm, I'm Conversely, trying Conversely, if we venture too far, we'll go into the alarm zone, and then we will traumatize ourselves and not learn very much either. There's a very rich in-between zone that I sometimes refer to as strategic discomfort, <laughs> where I... I put myself in a situation or I respond to a situation in a way that will stretch me without snapping me. Yes, I, I'm fairly resilient, so <laughs> I, I, I think I have freedom in that respect. Great. There we go. How many people relate to, the, to this cluster of things? Great. So um, unless there is something that's really burning for someone about what inner freedom is, please go ahead. When you asked the question, uh, so personal, or inner, inner freedom for me meant being able to answer the question, what does inner freedom mean to me? And so that means that when the question was asked and I went 
inside to answer the question. I had no idea. It's mm -hmm. like there was nothing there. Mm -hmm. And so inner freedom to me would be to be able to know myself well mm. enough and to be able to access that place where I could actually answer that question. Thank you so much. Do you know why I'm thanking you? <laughs> I'm thanking you because I recognize a quality of courage in you. Do you recognize that in yourself? No. <laughs> Am I going to cry already? Seriously? Oh, man. Uh, here's, the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you cry, then it will be easier for other people to cry later. <laughs> and, um, and you are pointing to something of great significance. And I, I want to speak to it for a moment, which is, um, and, and I'll start by asking a question. It's a trick question. Uh, how many of you, as you were growing up, were encouraged to know what you want? and act on it. <laughs> Look how few. Look how few. For the most part, we are raised to know what is right and what is wrong, which is external to us. What is good and what is bad, what is normal and what is abnormal, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. All of these things are external to us. When we are raised in that way, our ability to know what is true for us inside, atrophies. And you are surfacing that. It's like, how can I respond to a situation in a truthful, free way when I have no idea what the truth actually is inside of me? When all I have is the multiple voices that I've internalized and that keep coming about how you should or shouldn't be. So th that's why I'm thanking you, is because you've surfaced uh, such a deep aspect of what prevents us from having inner freedom. Do you get now why I'm grateful to you? I do. I do. Thank you. <laughs> and because you are willing to expose yourself in this way, I have confidence that you will move in the direction that you do want, because you want to know what is true in you. That's something that you can know. That's like your... Um, there, there's a Greek story about um, Ariadne who was uh, trying to go into this maze that many people got lost in and they gave her... A somebody gave her a thread to tie at the beginning so that she could find her way back through that thread. So you have the beginning of the thread now. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I, this is a, a great transition. I'd like to shift into naming what are some of the obstacles. What is it that uh, prevents us from being, um, from being free? And I'm wondering if that's what you wanted to speak to or you still want to speak about what inner freedom is to you. Well, you may be related to that. Can you wait for the mic? Um, Juliet, I'm, th I'm thinking that you might want to have a backup person, because uh, the level of interaction that I usually work with is higher than many, so you might exercise a lot, so I don't know if... I, I, I do well with that. Okay, <laughs> great. 
So, so one of the concepts we spoke about, the definition of inner freedom, is actually also is, it's a natural default. There's really no other way to be except to be inner, I mean, completely free. And, and any sort of um, impediment that you feel is actually usually coming from external. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're acting whatever you're feeling authentically, you do have inner freedom, regardless of what that boundary is. Yes, except sometimes we take in the external voices to such a degree that it's hard to differentiate between what is and what isn't authentically coming from within. Mm -hmm. How many people, at least part of the time, have that dilemma of what is really true inside of me? How do I know what's authentic? Do you see what I mean? Totally understand. When we know what is true inside, yes. um, that's like a big portion of the journey. Mm -hmm. Because even when we know, there might still be things that will prevent us from acting on it. <coughs> and it's mostly self-imposed. Because there's no barrier, right? If you truly live that moment, there is no barrier except yourself. I totally am 100% aligned with you in theory. And the theory is important. Um, the, the concern that I have is that if we try to look at this rich theoretical concept and pretend that it's already the reality, it turns into an instrument for judging self or other. Agree. And that is a big worry that I have about many things that I hear said in many different places. It's like, we have infinite choice, yes, but our choice is constrained by so many things that uh, say, why, why didn't I do this? I should have known better because I knew what was true for me, and why didn't I act on it? I'm, I'm a coward, you know? So then it, uh, you see, it, so there is a way in which I want to honor the, the context, the social context within which we live. Mm -hmm. And it starts with socialization. The, one of the key instruments of socialization is shaming. Shaming, shaming. There is, uh, you know, it's a standard thing that uh, big people say to small people. Shame on you. I've, I've done a little bit of checking into a few cultures, and it's, it's in many cultures. I, I, I'm not, I didn't do like an extensive research, but the language that con passes shame from adult to child is prevalent in many cultures. And one of the things that we get shamed for, in particular, is what we want. Again, just uh, we have a plenty of people here. How many people have experiences that you remember where what you wanted, what you felt, what you asked for, was shamed or ridiculed. Not just that it wasn't given to you, but you were shamed for wanting it. Yeah. So maybe just to take a moment here also and, and, and to just take, just to feel that, 
Yeah. You know, this is this is already the work that we're doing today, and it's moving through some of us more than others. But just to leave a moment to let that land and settle in the heart. This piece or any other piece that's been voiced so far. And to both feel the emotions that are present and this thread. This thread of the knowing that there's a way through, that there's something deeper, that there's something clearer, that in our own way each of us are in a stream of and moving towards. So we hold both. This is precisely why self-acceptance is so critical to the process of inner freedom because um, I can get lost in judging myself for not being freer. (laughs) And there goes freedom altogether. Thank you. So let's, let's see if we can name a few of the obstacles. All the way in the back. Thank you for being here today and for allowing us to tie some of our inner work with outer obstacles. Um, for me, that I'm going to connect this back to the inner freedom part too, which is the freedom to, to know inside, to believe that nobody needs to remain in a context or relationship where there is repeated oppression or abuse. And so I'd like to talk about that as an obstacle, is how do you be authentic and fully free within yourself so that you are standing up for yourself and standing also against destructive behavior and you've already done the empathy and you've already done all the other kinds of NBC things. You need to go to the point now where it's like what a, a good police officer or a protective force would do. Um, so I'm 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 a little bit confused about um, um, how you relate that to inner freedom. Can you help me? Yeah, thank you. Um, to me, it to me there's a. Um, a gentleman earlier referred to the idea of being in a prison, right? Um, I think that if somebody else's behavior has created a response in you, I know that's not very NBC appropriate to say it that way, but if you find a response where you feel that you're not free. Can you pause for a second? Because I'd like you and everyone else to listen to the tragedy of what just happened. And the tragedy of what happened is... Um, and, and this is part of the slippery slope of growing up in the cultures that we've grown up in. The idea of right, wrong, correct answer, appropriate, is so prevalent that learning NVC is superimposed on top of it, and then you think that there's a right and a wrong way to do NVC. Yep. yep. So I'll, I'll tell you my, my kind of like a flip response to that. The only way to get NVC wrong 
is to think that there's a way to do it right. <laughs> and the only way to get NVC right is to know that there's no way to get it wrong. Cool. Thank you. It's just about practice and seeing the results and learning. It's a, it's, um, it's, I, I, it's a research project. Mm. It's an ongoing research project to see what works. Yeah. Sorry, but what is NVC? Nonviolent communication. So, so back to the issue and how it relates to the inner freedom is the idea that somebody has the right to meet their own needs, and this connects with what you were just saying about being shamed and that you have to have self-acceptance of your own needs and of your own right to meet your own needs, regardless of how somebody else is going to act out okay. in response. So I think that the where I see the connection, and tell me if this speaks to you, is you want to have the freedom to release yourself from circumstances that are truly not working for you. Absolutely. Instead of thinking that as a good person, you're supposed to stay there and work it out. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Got it. Yes, there is a trap, a trap of niceness that um, I, I think Buddhism, nonviolent communication, and any, any inner discipline... Um, needs vigilance so you don't f fall into that trap because you learn equanimity in Buddhism, let's say, and you can uh, um, you know, fix my Buddhism if I'm, if I'm off track here. Um, and, and then you can delude yourself into thinking that equanimity means that you're supposed to stay in a situation that's really not working uh, and make it work for you. Or you can learn nonviolent communication and think that empathy means you stay with the person instead of, uh, and this I can speak with authority, yes, you can leave the situation. For me, inner freedom is leaving the situation with care for the person who is doing whatever they're doing. Even as you leave, you hold care in your heart for them. That to me is the attainment. Because if, if I get mobilized to leave through judging the other person, I'm not free as I'm leaving. Is that making sense? Yeah. It's a hard discipline. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, and this is where this right-wrong thing falls apart, I would rather you left with judgment <laughs> than you stayed there trying to work on not judging. Okay. <laughs> but then once you leave... I would want you to then work on releasing the judgment so that you can have your heart open to this other person, not altruistically, for your freedom. When my heart is open to another person, and the more people my heart is open to, the freer I am. Because then I'm not reactive. And, and, and this for me is the essence of inner freedom, is to be able to choose how I respond to whatever happens. To really be able to choose and to have that choice arise from the deepest layer of what I know that I want. And in that deep layer, my faith is that A, we are all one, and B, we cannot possibly want harm for another person at that level. Mm -hmm. Or for ourselves. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Other obstacles that people recognize. Over there, I just noticed that the way that this thing is situated um, uh, is somehow uh, the room is not evenly spread around this, so I need to um, compensate by looking actively to find people from this side who want to speak. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Um, so rather than trying to like relay it as a general principle I'm just going to talk about my own experience and maybe we can pull it from there um, and then I guess sometimes I see echoes of my own experience elsewhere and then that I react to that as well in others lives and there's a lot of anger so I'm, tr I'm transgender and I use she and her pronouns so um and you what would I use I'm referred to as she and her. I rush over that sometimes. <laughs> um, so it's difficult for me to maintain homeostasis frequently in a society that pretends that there are only two genders. So for example, going to the bathroom is an obstacle on a pretty much daily basis um, because um, I both have to I don't identify as male or female, even, and and I have to choose, you know, a box, literally, you know, an, an architecturally designed box um, to go into, and then I also have to man to to think about like whether I'm going to manage the expectations of other people in that box who are reacting to me or not, and and prepare myself. And then that also just leads to a lot of physical discomfort of my bladder being in pain because I'm, like, avoiding going to the bathroom um, and uh, or spending – and then also rage uh, that I have to spend all this time thinking about this, that my spoons or my pomodoros or my 20-whatever minutes are going into this instead of, like, um, planning my weekend or whatever. And then also – yeah, so it's just this, like, constant reminder. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just one example of many things that then I... And then I have a very strong reaction of rage, and I want to, like... And that's another thing to, like, manage, you know? I want to, like, throw my office chair through the window because I'm just sick of it, you know? Um, and then I f have this spiraling reaction to my own reactions... But it does feel frustrating because it's structurally instigated. It's not just like, you know, I have, I have to pee and I have to deal with this and it doesn't feel right. You know, and I imagine that it feels similar, like if I want to go shopping and, you know, there's all, and I have to deal with that there. And just like, you know, the day-to-day -day microaggressions, like, that are built in mm -hmm. to, like, our buildings and everything and... Um, and I imagine that many people experience this, you know, who are of identities that um, are structurally invisibilized or assaulted or manipulated, uh, you know. And, um, and I see those as an ally to identities that I'm not, you know, racial injustice, you know, mm -hmm. able-bodiedness and things like that. And, I, and the more I accumulate of my own frustration, the more those things enrage me and... Um, takes a so, lot of energy and it also stops me from peeing, you know, which is like more discomfort, you know. 
Um, so it's hard to take yeah. care of my body and also like of my sense of justice. And I, I'm really appreciating that you're bringing this up uh, for two reasons. One is it's so vividly clear what the struggle is. And the other, it's an opportunity for me to talk about structural realities and how they relate to inner freedom. And um, there is a little paradox that I want to speak to. It's not specifically about your situation. It's just about the reality of um, how inner freedom relates to structural limitations. Um, and, and here's the paradox. The paradox is when our external reality is limited, the only freedom that we can have is inner freedom. On the other hand, when our external reality is limited, it is harder to achieve inner freedom. Um, because the, the struggles take up more energy. And you described one kind, and you, you alluded to others. There are multiple ones. And all of us have an experience of this because all of us were children. Uh, at least, so I believe, <laughs> especially about you. <laughs> um, and being children is living in a, world, in a world that's not designed for us. Fundamentally, the experience of childhood is a temporary extended visit to a world that is not of our choosing, of our making, for our needs, for what works for us. So we all know how hard it is to be free as a child. And that can give us a sense of what it's like um, for transgenders, uh, for people of color, for lower class people, for any group of people that faces systematic structural limitations. So it's both uh, an absolute um, um, lifeline to have, be able to have any sense of dignity and meaning as a human being, to be able to cultivate it from within, and it takes so much more energy. So I'm, I'm wondering if, that's, if that speaks to you, what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> it, it's I just it feels so unfair and I get angry at um but I, there's also like a trap another trap seems to be to assume that that there's no point in asking for help because no one yeah. will help me anyway and there's like a learned like sense of abandon and isolation yeah. that makes even speaking in settings like this hard because it's like and I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak because that's like me overcoming in some way because it's like it would be easy for me to be like well this this is just a not you know defense yeah. would be like dismissing any potential opportunity like oh this yeah. person asking me out on a date like they can't possibly understand who i am so like you know forget them and this coworker reaching out to me to try yeah. to learn more well it must be like ingrained with all these problematic things so why even try and it's just being the yeah the being burned and just coming at from a place of being on fire and instead of like 
having faith that like fires can be put out even if you've never experienced yeah. that before. So I want to share with you my two favorite examples of inner freedom under extremity. Uh, one is Nelson Mandela, uh, who, while being imprisoned and tortured, cultivated the freedom of loving the guards. One of his guards was, um, uh, became a close enough friend that he honored him um, at his uh, inauguration. I don't remember the specific details, but that... Um, now, why am I sharing this? Not so that we could all flagellate ourselves for not being another Nelson Mandela. <laughs> it's because for me, knowing that something is humanly possible um, gives me motivation and inspiration to go as far on that path as I can. And the other one is less known. Her name is Eti Hilasum. How many people have heard of her? Etty was a contemporary of Anne Frank, lived in the same city, wrote a diary at the same time, but was about 10 or 12 years older than her, although they had the same fate. And Etty kept a diary for two years, um, which documents the process of a person finding more inner freedom progressively and exponentially as the world is closing in on her from the outside. It is breathtaking. I'll quote two things that, that will point to it. One is, she was in a transitional camp for a while, and then went on to Auschwitz, and dropped a card from the train. That was the last thing known that she wrote. And the card said, we left the camp singing. That's, in, that's, that's inner freedom for me. The other one is she said, and it's not word for word, she said, I want to be in all the fronts and in every camp and every place where people are suffering. I don't want to know this thing called safety. It just sends shivers through me every time I come back to this because it, it tells me, you were talking about attachments, that this, there's so much attachment to safety and comfort in our society. Safety, comfort, convenience, which are all illusory in my mind, that we compromise our freedom for that. So um, I am wishing you freedom from the anger. You cannot change how other people respond to you. And you cannot change how that affects you initially, like the immediate reaction. But you can over time perhaps find freedom from that anger. And your life will be different without anything changing on the outside. That's, I'm saying this hesitating so you don't take it on like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And I, I would like to check with you if, you're, if you trust that I'm not saying that. Yeah, I guess my response, when you said, because I think you and I both like agree that like 
we have the freedom to be agents of change on some level, like of the outside stuff. And yes. so I, yeah, I don't hear you discouraging me from that. And I Not hear you all. empathizing with my suffering around and like, because there's a lot of, we don't need to get into it, but there's a lot of obviously negative unrelated consequences of anger, yeah. blame, shame, attacking people who are close to us, you know, um, et cetera. And yeah, so it is, it is, uh, liberating to. It also makes us better change agents. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel uh, encouraged. When, when we are motivated by what we want to create rather than by opposing something that we deem to be wrong, we are much more effective. That's, that's part of what I've learned from Gandhi. And just to translate that into what, what's happening here, for me that sense of being motivated by what we want to create is this, this ability to actually con- know and connect with the vision and the intention for what we want in our life and to feel that and to use that as a guide so that we're, we're, we're taking steps in that direction. And for each of us, based on our circumstances, our history, the wounds that we're carrying, what those steps are might look different. But then we're actually coming from a place of being proactive and moving towards where we want rather than being reactive and not wanting what's happening. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, I, I'd like to just see if there's anything that's really important for anyone to say because I'm moving towards... It looks like it is for you. No? Not so important? Okay. So I'm moving towards a break and starting focus on one key obstacle that I will name after the break. Anything important to say before then? Um, so is there a, partic- a custom in the spirit rock community about how long breaks are? <laughs> Not that, not that I'm aware of. Um, my sense is with a group this large, probably 15 minutes is the least that would be realistic. So let's try out for 15 minutes. Which would bring us back here at um, just a little after 11.40, 11.42. Okay, thank you.